they've already helped you tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement. But this year, Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLY20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. So tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you have glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, welcome into the MD's Fantasy Football Show. It's Sunday morning. I feel like we're in season right now. I mean, we got two hours now. We'd be setting our lineups and getting ready for kickoffs. And yeah, it's, it's nice to be on a Sunday morning, especially with some of the guests that we have today. Now, you can see in the same screen in studio. I know that never happens on StreamYard. But in studio, we got Adam LaRue here with us from Billy Fantasy. He's been part of the show for a long time. You guys know who he is. And we have another great guest that we're going to introduce properly in just a second. But today, it is the AFC South. We had the AFC South last week with Jim Coventry. That was a great show. We will be back next week to talk about the NFC West. And I can't wait to do that as well. But today, the focus is the AFC South. And there are a lot of values, a lot of controversy with these players that we're going to be talking about because, well, they're not really at the top of the Mount Rushmore, but they're also not only down at the bottom. A lot of fluctuation in those mid-rounds. So I can't wait to get into it with our guests, who we are going to introduce now. Going to introduce now. <laughs> now, the moment you've all been waiting for. He's on the right part of your screen. He's the man. He's the myth. He's a legend from Fantasy Bros, Mr. I like this. I want this intro every time I enter a room. That's what I want. <laughs> Joe, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing better now. That was that was tremendous. I was just Talking to my kids the other day, I was like, you know, it'd be nice that every time like one of us like walk down a hallway, we got entrance music. Like all the time. I think everybody should have that anytime a big wrestling guy, anytime somebody can, you know, walk into a room, walk into someone's house and have entry music. I think it's a good thing. That was great. I'm excited to talk to you guys. I know this might not be the most exciting division to talk about. I can only assume that's why you brought me to help, uh, you know, hype it up a little bit and make everyone more excited for it. Well, you know, Joe, we need clicks, and um, the, you're the only person that can think that they can help us get those clicks. And <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I'll do my best. I'll try to say something provocative. I'm sure I will at some point, though. <laughs> and the Twitter sphere will go crazy. How are you doing, man? Doing great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm the only person who might be excited to talk about this division. So <laughs> we do have the resident Colts fan. So ah, great. A little, little insight there for that. Talking about the Colts, let's just dive right in. Now, you know, it's just to look at the gap with the Baker Bill 34. Shane now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I've been very impressed with his play calling, not just with the Eagles, but with the Los Angeles Chargers as well. In fact, 
him losing his job because they were doing the whole regime change over there, that was a big mistake when they let him go in the first place, considering how well Justin Herbert played his rookie season with him calling plays. Those are Philadelphia Eagles, great success there. And now you have somebody who has proven he can do it with a passing quarterback or he can do it with a running quarterback. And of course, the Colts, eventually, if it's not week one, we'll have to do it with a running quarterback after drafting Anthea Richardson at some point. So I want to ask you this question first. Since you're the resident Colts fan, you can get us kicked off the right way. What do you expect from Shane Stetchen? What do you think he's going to come out and run? What is his tendencies going to be? Yeah, I I do expect the Jalen Hurts experience uh, to an extent uh, early. Uh, I know this is something we're going to talk about later, but I do not believe under any circumstances that we'll be seeing much of Gardner Minshew. Um, and with that, I, I think they're going to play to Anthony Richardson's strengths, which early on is going to be running the ball a lot. He's a big, powerful guy, and he's got crazy speed for his size. And you're going to probably see a lot of deep balls. But outside of that, I just don't see him being ready to throw uh, with any kind of volume early. Uh, and I, again, I think they're really building this thing around the quarterback that just seems to be all of the noise coming out of the building. And I have no reason to believe that won't be the case. Yeah, it's going to be curious because the last 10 games, right, of, of, of last year, 61% they went to the run. And that's with the quarterback getting mixed in and everything like that. And you have the pace of play up to 65 game plays a game. And, and that's actually pretty quick. If they could do that with the Colts and build an identity, I don't think it matters if Richardson's not that great of a passer. Joe, what are you seeing with Shane Stetchen? Or you have seen, because I seem to have some optimism looking at this guy. Do you have that kind of optimism or do you think there's still too far away? I, I think there's long-term optimism. Uh, Shane Steichen did a great job, I think, with the Philadelphia Eagles, but he had a lot to work with. Uh, you know, I think this is more of a... a a different situation here. Uh, Anthony Richardson is a freak of nature. He is very exciting. Uh, he's an exciting guy, too, because, you know, he has the makeup, I think, that you're looking for out of an NFL quarterback, too, which is something that, for all the measurables that he has, that's the one of the intangible qualities that I don't think people talk enough about that kid. He's got all of that stuff. Now it's just a matter of applying it and getting ready. And to be honest, he did not start enough at Florida. He does not have a lot of experience. So it is going to be... I think tough to get him ready. I would not be shocked if you saw him kind of sporadically in packages in the first month of the season, just to get his feet wet. Maybe he does start week one that that's not an impossibility, but I don't think we're going to have to necessarily buy into that right away. Now from a fancy perspective, it's different because all he has to do from a fancy perspective is run the football, get some rushing touchdowns, make a big player to happen. If he does that, he's an incredible return in single quarterback formats. Richardson with Sykin becomes a very different, scenario because now you're getting a player that you know you have the opportunity he knows how to build an offense around a mobile quarterback the mobility of that quarterback takes a lot of pressure off the offensive line let's be honest I mean that offensive line has been through a lot having to play with Philip Rivers and playing with uh you know Matt Ryan the last couple of years where it's not exactly mobile quarterbacks you know it, you really got to protect that quarterback it takes a little pressure off them but at the same time I think there is a big learning curve so in single quarterback formats being aggressive on Richardson makes sense because you could always back it up with a golf, with a Rodgers, with somebody, you know, at the end, the back end of QB one, a Kirk Cousins even, and you still got some room to play and you got the upside of potentially where Richardson could be. It's a super flex format where it gets a little bit trickier. So it, even though I'm excited for the long term, what it might look like and the football mind that Sykin has in order to implement a similar offense to what you saw in years past at Philadelphia, I don't think it's a cut and paste job. It's This is a more of a work in progress. I think the thing that excites me the most, and this gets me with all coaching staffs in general, 
is are you going to have an identity? I know Steichen is going to have a particular identity for this team to fire off on, and that usually leads to success. So that's the part that always gets me because when you have Cliff Kingsbury, didn't seem to know what his identity in the NFL would be. And then you can see how that all turmoils out when, when that once that happens. I don't think that's going to be the issue here. So that gets me excited there. What about Bobby Sly? He goes from the 49ers. He's going to take over. Was the passing game coordinator. Now the full-blown offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. Another team that doesn't have a lot of talent. But with his bringing of that system over, you start to think about guys, Damian Pierce, uh, you know, CJ Stroud. Obviously, he's going to be a starting rookie quarterback week one. But how that offense is going to function. However, other than Mike McDaniel, we haven't seen too many guys in the Shanahan tree be all that successful calling plays. Before wasn't that successful. We've seen some others come out of there. Not really do a whole lot. So, Joe, is Bobby going to break that trend? Is he going to be more like Mike McDaniel? Well, he can bring a system with him, but he can't bring the players, right? So he's not bringing George Kittle, and he's not bringing Debo Samuel or Ayuk or Christian McCaffrey with him. So it's easy to look good calling plays when you have talent. At the end of the day, you can have a great system. If you don't have the talent to execute it, it's a problem. Uh, I think the Texans are in a better position now than they've been in the last few years, obviously, because I like C.J. Stroud. To me, he was always going to be the number two pick. Any of that nonsense with Levis was hilarious. I went on air the day that happened and said, if you buy into this, you're an idiot. I go reinvest everywhere in C.J. Stroud, and I did, and I made a lot of money that day with him being the second overall pick because the numbers went all crazy all over the place. I'm going to say this about you know this this whole Texans offense. I think they have the ability in there to potentially surprise a little bit. If John Mechie's truly healthy, I think he is that guy that moves the chains. He was a very reliable wide receiver at Alabama. Uh, Nico Collins has some talent. Uh, I'm more in the camp of the wait and see. I'm not as high as everybody else is. Dolan Schultz has shown you that he can be a decent tight end there and from a fantasy perspective. So there's a lot of positives there. And it's just a matter of how quickly C.J. Stroud can get used to it. And I think it's good he's got a little chip on his shoulder. That being said... Again, this is not a giant offense to invest in in terms of equitable fantasy returns. This is not an offense in terms of the good ecosystems, as we like to talk about them. This is not a good one. It can get better over time. It might be a little surprisingly good as time goes on. But I think your expectations during the fantasy season, the first half of this fantasy season is everybody just learning to play together. And whenever you have a new play callers, rookie quarterbacks, there's just a big learning curve. And that's the thing about this division, right? It's just littered with youth which is exciting on one hand, but mistake per on the other. And it makes it really hard to create consistent productivity. So it might be fun to watch the evolution of it, but in the box scores, from a fantasy perspective, it becomes a little bit more difficult to deal with. Yeah, and just to add to that learning curve, Slowick's never called plays either. It was Shane had called the plays. He has not been put in that position to actually be the play caller. So he's a rookie from that standpoint. Adam, I'm going to move to Tim Kelly with you. So with Tim Kelly, he takes over the Houston, I'm sorry, the Tennessee Titans coming from the Houston Texans originally. There were some things I did like about him. I thought they were able to be competitive. They were able to move the ball in spite of the fact they did not have a lot of talent. The Titans, I think, are being kind of slept on. Everyone just kind of writing them off a little bit, writing off Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry's too old. Traylon Burks, we don't know what he is. I think it could surprise. But what do you, when you see Tim Kelly take over this team, what are you expecting to see? I think it's a step in the right direction. I've never been a fan of uh, Todd Downing. Um, so I Kelly, to me, is a great move. Um, I'm really excited with, with what he's done and agreed. When he was in Houston, uh, they outperformed everything that I could have possibly expected uh, during the Coley era. 
and they had to do it with multiple quarterbacks and quarterbacks who were stylistically very, very different. They opened up the season running like a little bit of pistol and getting creative with Tyrod Taylor. And then they had to work with Davis. Like they were creative with how they were moving the ball. So I'm actually really impressed uh, with what Tim Kelly's done in the past. Uh, he does, you know, has been an OC before. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there could be something here. Well, I, we're going to get to this a little bit later on, but the thing I liked the most about him when he was in Houston, he got his best players the ball consistently. So as long as he does in Tennessee, I feel pretty good about that. Let's give ahead to court. Come on, Joe. Trevor Lawrence. Are you buying the Trevor Lawrence hype? He's number eight. Everyone picking him to be the guy who has that MVP jump. He has the weapons. It's possible. But does he have the offensive line? Is he going to take that next step with a second year with Doug Peterson? What do you think? Well, first of all, I was on the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon last year, year before when he was in Clemson. I thought maybe it's just jealousy because of the amazing hair, and I just want to be Trevor Lawrence someday when I grow up. I don't know. But <clears throat> this is a generational quarterback talent. He always was. So this was a, a great situation for him to finally rid himself of the terrible coaching that he came into the league with. And Doug Peterson's not my favorite coach of all time, but certainly somebody who actually is prepared for the NFL. So I think we're, you know, you mentioned Kingsbury before. There's been a lot of coaches the last couple of years trying to make that jump. Urban Meyer, you know, a couple of these guys. NFL's a whole other game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have the offensive line. Trevor Lawrence is not MVP conversation yet. But giving him another real alpha potential wide receiver in Calvin Ridley is a big deal. And now you've surrounded him with a lot of weapons. So you've got Ridley. You've got, say, Flowers. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Evan Ingram coming back on that franchise tag. Uh, you've got Travis Etienne. You've got all the makings of what could be a very good offense. The defense is still okay at best. I think they, they've got some they've got some players that just kind of figure things out, too. We'll see if they make some improvements year over year. But <laughs> Lawrence is very exciting. Lawrence is kind of you get what you pay for. He was QB8 last year. So you're basically just taking him at cost. Uh, I don't know if there's a big jump potentially. I don't see him getting into that. I don't see the offense being prolific enough to get him past the Burroughs or the guys like Lamar Jackson and Fields, the guys who rush a lot. But I think if you miss out on those guys, that Lawrence at least is going to be in that same conversation with, you know, right around that QB 8, 9, 10 grouping. You know, if you think he's less scary than Dak Prescott, okay. Like, I get that. I understand Prescott threw a lot of picks last year, but I would still go with Dak. But I think that's you know, all about your risk tolerance. And I don't think there's a lot of risk here with Trevor Lawrence. I think to me, it's actually potentially more upside. I just don't know if <clears throat> collectively they're ready to make that huge leap forward. A lot depends on what Calvin Ridley we get. Calvin Ridley could be a league winner. Calvin Ridley could also be a guy that, you know, ends up underperforming because he hasn't played football in a long time. And is he mentally right too? A lot of people forget he had that mental health break issue too. So there's, there's some questions there. He's still, to me, a potential league winner where he's going. But there is some risk there that we can't ignore. But Trevor Lawrence will be the beneficiary if everything breaks right for Ridley because offense last year already proved that they were ready to take a step forward. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to continue to just get better and better year over year. This is whether or not we're ready to make that statistical jump. But I don't know if we're quite there yet. Yeah, there's a couple of things going the right way for them. The Cam Robinson suspension, the fact that that was only four games was actually a win, in my opinion, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that offensive line is not going to be having a ton of holes throughout the entire year. Uh, to your point, Calvin Ridley, no matter what version you get, is better than they had last year in that spot in that third receiver, which was non-existent really in the offense. The third receiver essentially was, was Evan Ingram uh, as a pass catcher. But now you add Calvin Ridley to that. 
and the defense is not very good, which for fantasy purposes can work out. Here's my key with Trevor Lawrence. The first half of the season still wasn't that great. It was the second half of the year where he, on average, had two extra rushes a game. And just that two extra rushes a game is what propelled him to be a top seven fantasy quarterback the rest of the way in that stretch. So if we give the user's legs a little bit more, that's where I think we could see him take the next jump and maybe... I'm with you. I don't think the Burrow thing, I have Burrow at four. I don't think he gets to the top four, but top six, I think that's a possibility. And, and I'm going to ask you this. People are harping on taking quarterbacks earlier this year. I don't necessarily want to pay top three round draft capital in my redraft leagues. Lawrence seems to be that guy where he's going to that sweet spot at eighth round, just about there. That's the guy I think I want to take a shot on. To Joe's point, you get what you're paid for, is and he's got a pretty solid floor. I don't think he's going to fall off the cliff, but then there's also a potential upside. What do you think about that when approaching your drafts with quarterbacks? Yeah, I think he's in a really good value spot. Um, for him, I think he he could touch the the back end of that group above him. I agree that he's not going to surpass um, the truly elite players uh, the quarterback position, but agreed, like six is I think well within uh, the realm of possibilities for him, and the floor is good. Um, and yeah, the back half of the season is where he made a lot of progress. So I, I do think that there's a potential for him to carry over some of that progress and have a really good season this year. Uh, and something we talked about last night was just his, his resiliency. He's kind of got that gunslinger esque mindset where he's done a really good job of being able to bounce back anytime he has adversity, right? The playoff game. You know, throws three, four picks and is able to bounce back, forget those, come back to the next possession and score. Um, for a young quarterback, that's really, really important. Um, so for him to be able to, for instance, as Calvin Ridley gets reused to the NFL game, keep coming back to him, you know, if he's open, uh, what have you, be, be able to make use of him if things go wrong, um, I think is going to be big, very valuable for him, be very valuable for Calvin Ridley. Uh, and overall, I think this offense, maybe there's, uh, you know, some problems they have to work through for a week or two to start off the season. But I think that there's a lot uh, going right here. I want to stick with you. We're going to move to Anthony Richardson. You're the Colts fan. What do you want to see? Do you want to see Gardner Minshew week one or you just want to be like, no, all in on Anthony Richardson? Uh, we, again, have kind of spoken about this before. I think if there was a different quarterback uh, other than Minshew, I would be more inclined to go that route. I just think that a Minshew offense and a, a Richardson offense are too different to switch early on. Um, I, I understand the merits of uh, Joe, as you said, kind of doing the packages and things like that. I just, I think I agree. He hasn't had enough starts, but this isn't a playoff team anyway. You slice it anyways. I think you're best off uh, getting him the experience. I, it's going to be trial by fire early, but I don't really think that changes whether it's uh, you know, September or October that he, he's getting those starter snaps. I, there's, it's going to be rough to start out, and that's going to happen when, whenever it happens. So I just think they're best off getting it under their belt. Uh, and at the end of the day, just let them run. Let, let that slow everything else down, make the reads easy, and, you know, do the best you can. Well, because the reason I think that's actually, it's kind of obvious, but it's really important right now, fantasy-wise, trying to figure out if he's going to start week one or not because he's being drafted at QB 11. He's being drafted as a top 12 quarterback in redraft league. So, Joe, when I see a guy going being drafted as top 12, we don't even know he's going to be playing week one. I got him at QB 16 for that reason. I think he's kind of being overdrafted, in my opinion. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think the reason you're seeing a high ADP, like on Fantasy Pros right now, Richardson's at 14, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think you'll see some people want to take him around 11 because they look at the rest of the other people in that blob. Like I said, the Rodgers, the Jared Goffs, you know, Kirk Cousins better than all those guys. But still, if you're looking at Tua, Cousins, Daniel Jones, you know, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, like you, any of those guys, you kind of interchange a little bit, right? They're going to be pretty close to each other in terms of points at the end of the day. Richardson has that potential to be more than that. So the question is, do you want to risk that earlier pick, be a little bit more aggressive, and then just back it up at the end with another quarterback? And to Adam's point, yes, you know, it's going to be rough and tumble, and you have to learn on the fly and figure things out. The question is, do you want that to be the first five weeks of your fantasy season? Because the worst part is, if he doesn't figure it out to week eight or nine, have you set yourself back too much? And I think in super flex leagues, that's a real question you have to ask yourself. If he is your second quarterback, <clears throat> does that set you back if he really does struggle? So it's a fascinating boom boss. I, like I said, I love Richardson. I'm not taking shots at the guy. I'm excited. I want him to start week one because I agree. There's nothing holding him back or the organization back. The future is now get the experience now. But at the same time, you don't want to knock the guy's confidence. If he's truly not ready for the pace of play at the NFL level, there's a lot of things there that you have to to unpack. You've seen far better, cleaner quarterback prospects like Trevor Lawrence struggle in this first season, right? Where you're talking about night and day in terms of passing ability. And of course, you can get him some easy read option situations. You can get him into situations that are going to make it a lot simpler for Anthony Richardson to be effective and useful. And if you can have a healthy Jonathan Taylor, that goes a long way to helping this offense. However, you know, from a fantasy perspective, I am more in the give me the the latter part of that early run of QBs. I don't necessarily want to be the first guy. You know, I don't need to take Mahomes. I don't need to take Josh Allen. But if you give me Lamar in the right spot a round or two later, I'm really listening. And I think there is still a huge, uh, I would say, advantage over the rest of that crop because although the elite do cost you more, consistently speaking on a weekly basis, they're going to outproduce those other guys because they have more explosiveness. They do run the football. They do get rushing touchdowns. So that doesn't make a difference. But I'd rather be in the fifth and sixth quarterback off the board territory. And if I don't get that, then I pivot to the Richardson strategy. Then I pivot to take the shot and then see what happens with one of these other guys. And I think Jared Goff is a perfect guy to pair with. Boring, fine, whatever. Just go for it. Or Rodgers or one of those guys. Well, the names you listed too, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Geno Smith. I mean, I was just thinking in my head when you said that, well, yeah, what a, what a snooze fest of names. Yeah, <laughs> They're good. They're solid. But you're just not excited about it. Richardson does have reason to be excited about it. So from that standpoint, it does make some sense why you would get boost up. Um, the ADP that I'm going off of, probably should have mentioned that first, FFPC, just to give you guys an FYI what you're looking at there. No one platform. You're <laughs> Always. That's a good piece of advice. <laughs> um, we go, the Texans look, I'm not going to get into the weeds here with CJ Stroud. Redraft purposes, basketball purposes, you're not really probably drafting him. He's going outside the top 24 quarterbacks. But since Joe has made it known that he's on the CJ Stroud bandwagon, just like I am, um, is he getting disrespected? Because right now, Bray Young's getting drafted ahead of him, and that makes no sense to me. Uh, you know, look, he's getting drafted ahead of him because he was the number one pick. Let's be honest. I mean, it's just that simple. There, there's, there's also a large contingent of fantasy football community that doesn't watch college football. Let's be honest. They, they try to come back and watch some tape here and there, or they pick up bits and pieces that they hear, or they're watching draft coverage. 
and all that is good. I mean, I do all those things, but you have to watch the college football game to really get a beat on these guys, which is why I'm confident in CJ Stroud. Now, Bryce Young made big improvements to his game, in my opinion, year over year. Bryce Young at Alabama two years ago was a guy that if you didn't give him a clean pocket, there was trouble. Last year, he was much better with the less clean pockets, as you will. Um, so I want to give him a lot of credit there. I am concerned about the size. Um, I don't know why other people aren't. Uh, I think it does matter to a certain extent. It matters in his ability to stay healthy for a longer period of time. Now, I understand in redraft leagues, liking Bryce Young more because I think he's in a situation that might succeed a little bit better. But long-term wise, CJ Stroud is the guy that I'd rather have because I think physically he fits that more prototypical quarterback. You've seen Kyler Murray deal with injury issues the last couple of years, even though he played through some of them. You know, people forget two years ago, an offensive lineman fell on top of Kyler Murray and he couldn't throw a ball more than 15 yards for about a month and a half. Like the smaller frame guys are going to have some problems in this game. So I think long-term, I still like Stroud better as a prospect, to be honest, because I just think he's going to hold up better. But in the short term, I understand Bryce Young ahead of CJ Stroud, just because he's in a situation where it's going to be, I think, a little bit cleaner, a little easier for him to succeed right away based on the pieces around him and playing in a division, let's face it, that's pretty soft right now for the most part defensively. Well, I can make that same case in the AFC South too. But <laughs> yeah, he does have a few extra weapons as of this moment. Um, the one thing I will say with the Bryce Young size thing, it's not just the injury in my opinion. We've seen smaller quarterbacks, Kyler Murray comes to mind, really struggle in the red zone because it's harder for them to see in that instance and get the passing lanes. So that's where I am not buying in on Bryce Young being all that effective, especially from a fantasy standpoint. They do that when they get in the red zone, touchdowns are going to be hard to come by. Uh, Adam, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Let me just get your prediction. Ryan Tannehill, will he be the starting quarterback in week one, and will he stay the starting quarterback for the Titans throughout the season, or do you think Will Levis makes an impact? Yeah, it's Ryan Tannehill all the way. It Look, to me, as long as this team is in playoff contention and as long as Derrick Henry is in the backfield, Ryan Tannehill will be the starting quarterback, and I don't really think that there's any way – that changes. And if you have any Traylon Burks shares, you better pray it is right here <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> I think Jonathan Taylor is getting a little disrespected by the fantasy football media, too. We talk about Christian McCaffrey and Bijan Robinson, Austin Eckler, all for good reason. But Jonathan Taylor, two years ago, was the RB1, and no one's looking at him this way. We talked about the Colts offense about how it's going to have an identity. We know Richardson at some point, if it's not week one, will be the starting quarterback. It's not going to be Minshew all year. And when they do that, it's going to be a run first team. Joe, why is he not getting more respect in that, in that conversation? Well, I think he's getting enough respect. I think it's actually kind of appropriate because if you're looking at where he is in the pantheon of rankings, Christian McCaffrey is ahead of him. Uh, obviously so. Austin Eckler is ahead of him. Saquon Barkley is ahead of him. Now, I put Bijan ahead of all these guys, but he's also ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think the reason is, number one, coming off injury, which is always a concern. Number two, coming off unknown situation with the quarterback. And I think whenever you have unknown situations, and then on top of that, a quarterback who could potentially run a lot more and steal some of those goal line area touchdowns, that's also something to be concerned with. So, you know, I think it's appropriate that he's somewhere around the fifth or sixth running back off the board. Uh, Nick Chubb, again, is another guy that I think is a little safer than Jonathan Taylor. Nick Chubb is very consistent. Nick Chubb has never played with a quarterback that could really do anything special. We'll see if Deshaun Watson can get back to being that guy. And if he can, 
It's going to be a really fun season potentially for Nick Chubb because there's really no one else in that backfield. I don't want to, people keep trying to sell me on these other guys. I don't want to hear it. I'm not saying he's all of a sudden going to catch 40, 50 balls, but maybe he catches 40. It's possible. But Nick Chubb's the guy. Everything else is just window dressing there. However, with Jonathan Taylor, I think the unknowns keep him a little bit behind these other guys. And if you want to put him above Bijan, I get it. My argument against that is I think Bijan is just, again, a generational talent at running back. I think Bijan is a guy that does everything well. He is a three down back and an offensive line that's built to run the football. They got Tyler Algier over a thousand yards last year. Tyler Algier had over a thousand yards rushing last year with the Atlanta Falcons indoors. You're not dealing with elements. You're dealing with a, a football coach that wants to run the football that made Derrick Henry a star running the football who's come over to Atlanta. So Bijan's still ahead of JT for me and ahead of all everybody for me. Even McCaffrey, as crazy and hot takey as that sounds, I could back it up for days. But I think Taylor is appropriate, but I agree with you. He's a potential league winner because if you draft him at the turn and he has the same season he did two years ago, you're in a great spot. I think that season of two years ago is a little unattainable in the structure of what this offense is going to be because I don't think they're going to have nearly as many scoring opportunities as they did two years ago. They don't have a very good offensive line still. Like, you know, Shane's just coming over with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not the same offensive line. So no. I do agree from that standpoint. However, I, I call this hot take, I guess, but I think Saquon's a big risk. I have him fourth ahead of Saquon Barkley. Now, I have Bijan ahead, too. And, uh, Joe, I, you are on the show last week, so I, I want to say this now. You have more cojones than I do. Because I said last week, if I had cojones, I'd actually put him in front of Chris McCaffrey. But I don't have those cojones. I'm glad let, me, let me, let me, let me have to make you feel better about the cojones. Let me help you out. You could use this information. You could tell them that Joe said Jeff. All right, so here's the thing. If you go back and look at, there's only two times in the fantasy black book that I've ever had a rookie running back in the first round. It was Ezekiel Elliott's first year, and I had him as the 10th overall player, and he finished as the RB2 and half EPR. He finished only behind, I think it was Arian Foster that year in that crazy season that he had. And then the other year was Saquon Barkley's rookie season. Saquon Barkley's rookie season, I had him as the 8th overall player, and guess what? He ended up as the RB2, only behind Todd Gurley and his 27 million touchdowns that year. The only reason he was behind was Todd Gurley's incredible, magical, historical run. So that being said, a rookie running back can absolutely come into the league, be the number one guy in fantasy, and it doesn't have to be a good team because people say, well, the, the Cowboys were a good team when he came in with a great old line. Yeah, okay. How about the five-win giant team with the statue Eli Manning? How good was that team? They were terrible. So this notion, look, you want running backs that are young, talented, three-down performers who catch the football who do everything who block Bijan does all of that at a high level and he's in a perfect situation with the perfect coach to be that dude and let's be honest Christian McCaffrey's another year older and every time we go into this well and I was warning people about it last year with Ezekiel Elliott and people didn't want to hear me about it when you, same thing with Alvin Kamara this year even with the suspension issue when you get five six years into the league as an RB that's the time to start getting out of the business and start looking to the future. Bijan is the future. He's the present. He's the now. Yeah. I love that this conversation totally turned into Bijan. I'm okay with that. That's, that's fine. It's way sexier than talking about the, the you know, a lot of the other teams in the AFC South. All right. I'll, I'll ask you, Adam, a quick question, and then we'll move to Derrick Henry. John Taylor or Nick Chubbs? I do think that's an interesting conversation to have. Um. Man, I, I might have to go against my biases. I do think that that comparison is really fantastic. Uh, I think it's Chubb. I think the offense is a little bit better. And I, I think the comparison is fantastic because I think we're going to be talking after this season, and maybe this is a, a rose-colored glasses kind of thing as a Colts fan, but as uh, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best pure runners in the league, 
if not the best in that conversation. However, from a fantasy perspective, I think he might be at the back end of RB1 territory realistically. I don't see it as that crazy that he finishes with 25 to 30 receptions with like six touchdowns because Anthony Richardson, I mean, we saw Jalen Hurts get a ton of touchdowns and Richardson's what, 30 pounds heavier? Like, I think that that's going to be their first option if they get in the red zone. They won't be in the red zone much. Taylor might only have touchdowns he breaks long. That might be the only way he gets in the red zone. He won't be catching the ball. He might have the best yard per carry of his season, but that might be the only positive we're looking at. Yeah, I, that's a fair point. I, I mean, I would say Miles Sanders had 13 rushing touchdowns last year, but again, to Joe's point, much better offense, a lot more scoring opportunities. Uh, Derrick Henry. So are we out on Derrick Henry every year? It's like, oh, this is the year. This is the year he's falling off the cliff. Now and now it's this year. Now and now it's this year. Can we just accept that maybe he's just a different kind of animal and I just think he's a monster? Because when I look at Derrick Henry, even if he continues to lose some efficiencies as he gets a little bit older, he's like Garrett Blunt. At worst, he falls in the fall of the end zone 15 times. So I'm not that worried about it. What do you think about Derrick Henry this year? Where Where is he on your board? Yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly where it would be on my board, but I agree with the general sentiment. Like, if the efficiency drops off, that's fine. I don't care unless the, the volume drops off. And based on the backs behind him, I'm not really concerned about that being the case. Uh, the dude's going to get a ton of carries. Uh, he is the identity of the offense. We talk about, you know, coaching-wise, how an identity is important. Derrick Henry is the Titans' identity, and that's why I think uh, Ryan Tannehill is tied to him. Because this whole regime of the Titans that we've had for the past, you know, five or so years is based on if Derrick Henry is in the backfield. If Derrick Henry is in the backfield, then this is going to continue to be the same type of Titans team that we've seen for the past few years. And this may be the last season of that, but it's I think everything is going to continue to be the same. Uh, again, the efficiency might continue to slip down, but the general sentiment of what the Titans are going to go into every game trying to do establish the run with Derrick Henry all game long I don't see that changing well and, and here's two things that I think we can definitely find with Derrick Henry helpful second most carries in his career last year so the volume didn't disappear at all and he did get his efficiency in this broken tackles category back to what we have seen in his career breaking about a tackle for every per uh, 10 carries or so so from that standpoint, I don't think we see a guy who's big falling off. Joe, what do you what do you make of Derrick Henry? Are you gonna are you gonna keep keep going with him in redraft leagues, or are you are you getting out like you would want to move on necessarily from Chris McCaffrey because he's getting old? Yeah, well, I think it's about price. See, Chris McCaffrey, it's like okay, do you want him as the number one player on the board? My answer is no. I want Justin Jefferson. I want Jamar Chase. I I was saying this stuff last year that Justin Jefferson was the one one pick, and again, you know how much it it's so funny what a difference a year makes, right? I'm on every show, Fantasy Bros, talking about Justin Jefferson, the 1-1. One, one. Somebody made me a shirt. I wear it all the time on the show. And, and you know, people are like, what are you, how can you take him over this guy? They're like, just watch, okay? And now we're starting to see, you know, the top of the board is important. And and just this default Christian McCaffrey thing that every every year everybody does. And it's not that taken away from McCaffrey, but the price for McCaffrey and the price for Derrick Henry are very different. You're talking about a second-round price for Derrick Henry. That's great. Because to me... You can give me Jamar Chase, and then maybe, maybe Derrick Henry makes it to me in the second round. If things break right in a PPR, I'll take that. Uh, he is built a little differently, and I think you can't look at all running backs the same. Uh, Derrick Henry is a freak of nature physically. Same way you could say Adrian Peterson was a freak of nature physically, right? There's a running back that stayed way longer at the dance, maybe than he should have, but than anybody expected him to. 
And I think there's some guys that are built like that. Some guy, LaDainian Tomlinson was another one too. Some running backs have different gears in them, different physicality, you know, different shape of their game. That being said, Derrick Henry dropping an ADP makes it more palatable because you're mitigating the risk of how bad the Tennessee Titans are going to be. And I think they're going to be pretty terrible offensively again. Traylon Burks is interesting, uh, but am I going to be sold on a Ryan Tannehill-led offense and it's going to be really exciting? No. They're going to run the football. It is the identity of this team. It's the only thing I think they're capable of doing, to be honest. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but, I mean, this is not a good offense. Let's be honest. The wide receiver room is is bare. The cupboard is bare. You know, in the words of the old Chappelle show, the milk's gone bad. All right? So we're trying to figure out, like, what we've got here, what's left. And what's left is Derrick Henry. At any point when they move to Will Levis, it's going to be even more Derrick Henry. So the 378, that scares me, that number from last year in terms of the volume. But I think you're going to be close to that 350 mark again this year, and that's good enough that if Derrick Henry can continue. Look, last four or five years, he's been in the top five in fantasy points per game at running back. At the end of the day, whether he catches the ball, he doesn't. It's about the touchdown equity he brings. It's about the volume he brings. And I think he'll bring that again. But he's bringing it at a bigger discount than ever before. So I'm more interested in it than ever before. Yeah, look, look, Joe, don't put the Will Levis thing out in the universe, all right? I don't want to see that. I mean, Ryan Tannehill ain't going to stay healthy for a whole season, so it's going to be somebody. I don't know if they were – poor Malik Willis, man. I mean, they were signing guys – I think I got a call. They were like, hey, Joe, you want to come work out? And I was like, look, I'm a little busy, but, you know, I can still throw a little bit. But, yeah, like – He mentioned Malik really Willis. They, they had that headline come out about Malik Willis where it was like, oh, he looks like he's taking a next step up. And I'm like, yeah, see, these are the spring headlines I put in the trash. Right, right. <laughs> let's, let's not even let's not even go there. Um, let's talk about Travis Etienne. This is a guy, it depends, a big time depends on your platform of where you're drafting on. FFPC, he's been fluctuating all over the place. As of now, because I updated this yesterday, he's RB13 which I think is astronomically too high for a guy that I think there's a lot of question marks about. Especially, what's the rotation going to be? Doug Peterson likes to rotate backs. That is his history when he has the ability to do so. They draft Tank Bigsby, who I'm not a big fan of. The idea, seemingly, as of now, is that they want him to be the short yardage back. I think they will find out very quickly he does not fit that mold. And we can go into details as to why I think that in just a second. But then I think Jamichael Hasty. Well, I don't think he's very good. I think the fact that he would take about 6.5% of the target share on a per-game basis is enough to be annoying with his value. I have Etienne ranked at RB18, which means, at least in the FFPC standards, I'm probably not going to have too many shares of that. I'm okay with that. But Adam, where are you at with that? I think I would have him a little bit higher than that. Uh, I I think that he's going to lose a little bit of share, but I think he's always going to get the valuable carries in this offense. He is a an explosive guy, a big playmaker. I haven't historically been the biggest ETN fan of the world, but I'll give him a little more credit than that. Uh, like I, I just he's going to be again. He's a big play guy. He's one of their best young offensive playmakers. Um, and yeah, I, I think that when they are in a situation. Um, you know, red zone, uh, any you know, big play situation, he's going to be the back in the backfield, and that's what concerns me. Uh, yeah, Tank Bigsby might take five to ten carries a game. Michael Hasty might take two receptions a game. Um, but on the whole, uh, when things come down to it, I think ETN is going to be back there when it matters. What do you think, Joe Chavez, ETN, boom candidate or bus candidate? Uh, I think more bus. I've got him at 19, so I'm worse than you. Um, I think it's more taking that player at that point in the draft. See, this is a point in the draft where you're getting into that territory where 
you look at the other guys and the ADP and what's around there, and it's far more intriguing for me to be taking some wide receivers that are in that range or, you know, players that I think could really help me and maybe even one of the big quarterbacks potentially. Um, Etienne's a good player, but again, I think there's some some warts there. And also, if you're looking around there with Travis Etienne, I, I struggle with putting him above some of those other players that are in that same range. Like if Chris Olave is on the board, I'm taking Chris Olave every time. And they're only two spots away from each other on Fantasy Bros ADP. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is another player. I would rather have on my roster than Travis Etienne because I'm looking at what Gibbs can do potentially in a full PPR league and the pass catching ability and how they moved up to take him and what that draft capital means. Lamar Jackson, Amari Cooper, um, all those names, even Keenan Allen, like those are all names that I want on my roster before I want Travis Etienne because I see all those names helping me more on a weekly basis with higher ceilings and higher floors. So it's more a matter of this is the biggest mistake that people make. And this is like fantasy black book 101 where don't take players that are in the negative relative position value. Don't take players that don't move the needle. Finish filling out your roster as the draft presents talent. Build core roster strength. You can always find an RB. You can always figure out another wide receiver. But when you pass out on the pass on the talented guys that are on the board and you try to fill roster spots instead of acquiring talent, that's what the draft is for. And people far too often try to fill their roster spots as opposed to taking the best players they can to build a good team. That's the biggest and easiest failure people make in fantasy football. And even really good fantasy players will fall into that trap from time and time again. Preach it, Joe. It's Sunday morning. We're preaching fantasy football. Hallelujah. Let's I go. Love it. That's the keys to success right there. All right, let's talk about Damian Pierce. I've never been a day, big Damian Pierce guy. Wasn't a big on him last year. Thought he was overblown then. Uh, he did perform well, winds up getting injured about week 12. It is a system that typically does provide great production for the running backs. Even the offensive coordinators I've alluded to from the Shanahan tree that have not been successful, the running games have still been ultimately successful. But I do think Devin Singletary is going to get more work than I think people realize. you got to remember, even with Christian McCaffrey on the team, even Christian McCaffrey, when there was a healthy Elijah Mitchell, it's only a 52-48 split when it comes to the carries. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be on the same pace with Pierce and Devin Singletary, but it's going to be more than I think people realize. So with me, with Damian Pierce, I have him more in the late 20s area, or I'm sorry, not late 20s, back in RB2 area, early 20s, than I do as a mid-level RB who's, you know, flirt with that Travis Etienne, Jameer Gibbs type of range, that RB14, 15, 16 type of space. That's just me. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I I might be a little more optimistic than you, but not by much at all. Um, I, I think just by virtue of this is going to be a team that is looking for identity, um, and this is also uh, an OC who, yes, is coming from that San Francisco, but also his previous coaching experience prior to that. Literally, he had taken a sabbatical to work with PFF for a few years, and so his most recent position prior to San Francisco was Washington during the Alfred Morris era. So I, I think there, there's some ability to say that he might he could go a little heavier towards one running back. Um, but Damian Pierce, I kind of sort of liked at points last year, but not to the extent that I'm going to put him much higher than, uh, you know, an interesting RB2 in the back half of that category. Am I sleeping on Damian Pierce, Joe? No, I, I think I agree uh, with everything that Adam kind of laid out there, too. And what you laid out, too, that Singletary is going to get some work. Um, especially in the passing downs, I can see that happening. And 
I, look, Damian Pierce was was pretty good for the beginning of the season. I think there's reason to believe that he hit a rookie wall last year. You know, people forget these college kids, especially the running backs, they come in there. If you give them a full workload right away, by week 12, you know, they start to get blown up a little bit. And, you know, that's the college football season. You know, like now you're asking the guy to play another, you know, five weeks. Big difference. So I think this, the season took its toll on Damian Harris. I think Singletary's there to help pace him a little bit. Uh, if you see that early on, that's not a bad sign. It's just a, an obvious one to just make sure that he's good enough to go through the rest of the season. I do think there'll be a better offense with C.J. Stroud. It's hard to be worse, but at the same time, it's not a running back you're excited about drafting. I look at that same range, and I'm more excited about an Isaiah Pacheco, potentially, because that's a guy that showed you in a good offense that you know people are comfortable giving him the football. For a smaller guy, he's pretty physical which is surprising, I think, sometimes in the playoffs last year. You saw how physical he was. He started to catch the ball a little bit, and uh, he is fast as hell. So I think those kind of guys are more appealing to me if I look at the back end of running back. I want guys either on better teams or have a little bit more upside. I'll be honest with you. like I think a Damian Harris could have a better season than Damian Pierce at the end of the day because he's in a better offense. And if they start to give him goal line touches and scale back from Josh Allen in that role to keep him a little healthier – that wouldn't shock me. And all of a sudden, Damian Harris would be a guy who would leapfrog a Damian Pierce, get ADP. There's a variance there. Uh, Damian Harris is going to be this year's Jamal Williams. Rhetorical statement, obviously. I love how you drop that in there. In the plot. That was, man, oh man, that's sexy stuff, man. You drop it in there, boom. It's like little. <laughs> that was awesome. The only form of a mic drop I had. I gotta get me one of those. I need one of these drops. <laughs> All right, so we got the wide receivers. A lot to talk about here. Obviously, we'll try to keep this going so we can wrap up the show in about an hour today. Jaguars, who's going to be the number one wide receiver of the Jaguars? That is the question everyone's trying to answer. The answer so far to the public has been Calvin Ridley which I do not agree with, especially given the ADP discrepancy. Do you want to make it close between Ridley and Kirk? Ridley's going as a top 24 wide receiver, while Kirk is in the 30-ish, 29, 30, somewhere around there, usually most draft places. We did see Deshaun Watson, after a year and a half not play football, look like a shell of himself, right? Calvin Ridley, who I, I hope that doesn't happen for, but has been out of the game for a very long time. Yes, receiver is not quarterback. That is true, but I'm going to see some rust. And Kirk had a phenomenal season. You can't tell me that Ridley all of a sudden now is going to have more chemistry than Christian Kirk has with Trevor Lawrence. There's just nothing about it makes sense to me. Kirk is my pick, and with given the ADPs, he's definitely the one, if I'm drafting the Jaguars wide receiver, that I'm going to be taking. But Joe, what do you think? Do you, do you think the upside of Cal Ridley, what he was, passes is what Christian Kirk is? I think it's possible it does, and I think the, the and look, I, I think your argument is very valid. Like I'm, I don't think it's <laughs> as I said earlier. Calvin Ridley is my number one potential league winner, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a league winner. But if things break right and he takes over what his talent is to the situation, he does click with Lawrence, and they've got time to work together, and they do have a whole off season together and preseason together that they can get on the same page. He has he has a gear in his game that Christian Kirk does not have. And if Christian Kirk's eight touchdowns scale back to more like five and his target volume goes from 133 to more like 100 targets, then all of a sudden that's a different conversation. So really watch the target dispersion early 
And I know, you know, preseason means nothing. But for certain guys in certain situations, it means a little bit. I want to see Calvin Ridley look good in preseason with Trevor Lawrence. That goes a long way. Now, the problem with that is if he looks good as one big splash play, that ADP is going to jump a couple spots. So early drafting of Calvin Ridley is my favorite right now because he's going as like a back-end wide receiver too. That's all upside, you know, when you're looking at the guys in that range. That is all guys that like you feel, you know, give me shots on all those dudes all day long. You know, I think he could out easily outperform a, a Brandon Ayuk or some of the other guys that are in that range. But at the end of the day, there is some risk to it because there are some other guys and those guys all performed admirably last year. Ridley has more talent. I'm putting my money on talent. I think there's enough time to get acclimated. And that being said, Christian Kirk is a fine possession wide receiver, but he's always kind of been like, that's kind of his MO. Calvin really has a gear that I don't think Kirk has. And that's fair. And that's fair. We, and we could see that be the case. I think who we're going to talk about a little bit later, the guy who's going to be left out in the cold might be Evan Ingram when it comes to that. Yeah. But, uh, okay, Colts. Michael Pittman. First question. Is anyone besides Michael Pittman worth a damn in redraft? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Not even a little bit. Uh, I love, love, love the talent of these guys. You know that I, in the draft process, loved Alec Pierce. And I love Josh Downs. But as far as the short term goes, no, nothing. <laughs> this this team could, how shocked would you be if they were under 3,500 passing yards as a total on the year? I, I, so, I think it's very, very possible. <laughs> yeah, like I have no interest in anyone as far as a receiving threat on this team outside of uh, Michael Pittman. Right, so Pittman is right where Ridley is, by the way, guys. Like that, right. that's the point I'm making, which is, you know, people put Pittman there because he's the number one on a team. But to Adam's point, if this team doesn't throw for 3,000 yards this year, like that's that's a problem in fantasy. <laughs> you know, like Jerry Judy's in that same range. DJ Moore's in that same range. Christian Watson, very talented young man, in that same range, very explosive. Tyler Lockett going after that. Like those guys are way, like Pittman being there just makes my head hurt. Like, I don't understand why that is. Seriously. Yeah, the exact, it's exactly what's happening to Michael Pittman's value. So where do you value Pittman at? Is he after all those guys that Joe just mentioned? So that one put him at about, which I agree with this, by the way, about wide receiver 34. Yeah, I, I think that's probably about where he belongs. And I think it's really unfortunate for him because I think talent-wise, he's ready for a breakout. Like he showed me a lot of really good things uh, in the Matt Ryan era that nobody else in that team was able to do. Uh, I think... Talent-wise, he's ready for a breakout. I was actually kind of expecting a, a sleeper trade uh, with him. I think he's about at the age where a lot of receivers have been moving lately, right? Like right before he's about to get a contract. Uh, it seems to be when when receivers are getting moved right now around the league. I thought that might be the case. It's clearly not going to be. And with that being the result, unfortunately, uh, statistically, I think he's going to take kind of a, a step back uh, for a season or two. And then, you know, hopefully the passing game kind of, you know, re improves but for now yeah i'm not in on Pittman at all well what about burks because burks is going around the same area now this is a guy that i think we go the other way on i think there's reasons to be excited especially if hopkins doesn't sign with the titans while they're not going to be a pass happy team either somebody's got to catch the ball and i do think in this case the only person i see is Traylon. chig's nice i don't think he's going to be a high volume target demand it's going to be Traylon and you know, it helps that we're getting reports that he can breathe this year. Uh, that does play a big role with guys being able to play well and get open. And it sounds like they've kind of got the asthma thing a little bit more, at least 
under control. I mentioned Tim Kelly earlier, who features his guys. And he had Hopkins, he had Cooks. His number one receiver is offense, 150 targets, 134 targets, 119 targets. If you give me Burks plus 100 targets in that range, I think we're talking about a guy who's going to finish inside the top 20. So to me, this is my pick when we get into that wide receiver three territory, why I'm targeting like crazy. Joe, where are you at on Traylon? I'm not as high because of the quarterback play. And I think that's the thing we we know. We, we often do this to ourselves as a fantasy community all the time. Like we talk too much about the talent of a player and we forget, oh, wait, for a receiver to be truly great, he's got to have somebody who could throw him the football consistently. And in that same range, it's ironic because you look at, you know, what happened to Deontay Johnson last year, right? The quarterback play fell off. And now these two guys are going a couple spots away from each other. I'd rather go back into the Deontay Johnson well, because I think I feel a little bit better about the ascension potentially of Kenny. Whatever happens next for the Titans. So that's my concern. I like Traylon Burks, the player. I liked him in college. I think he's got a lot of upside. I'm here for the, you know, wish.com version of uh, AJ Brown that they wanted to sell everybody on that what he could be. But again, you're looking at this range. This to me is that dangerous range of wide receivers. I'm a heavy wide receiver guy early for a reason because I don't like getting to here. I don't like the guys in Tampa. I don't want to trail on Burks or anybody in Tennessee. Uh, I don't know what Jordan Addison's going to give me this year for sure. I don't know what JSN's going to give me with Tyler Lockett still there. Are there enough targets for everybody to eat? I don't think so. I really don't. So this is that weird dead zone where I'd rather take a shot at a bigger upside guy and a better offense than necessarily go here. Um, so I would rather hit wide receiver early, pass this group by. This is where I want to take running backs in the draft and like take some shots on some situations. And then I'll come back to wide receiver when I can take Elijah Moore, when I can take Quentin Johnston, when I can take, you know, say Flowers. That's the grouping that's coming at a price of like 50 and over. In terms of wide receiver 50, that's, that's where you start to get really excited about those names because I think there's a better return on investment at that juncture in the draft. I can see that. I think Traylon, though, I think uh, to me, Traylon is going to be the guy that I am willing to take in that round. But I agree with the rest of those names. I would pivot the running back. Shout out to Griffin Carey, Traylon to the mood. All right, rapid fire, you guys. Houston Texans wide receiver, pick one. Give me one statement, reason why. Go, Joe. John Mechie. He moves the chains at Alabama. He will move the chains in Houston. As long as he's healthy, that dude is really underrated. I'm going Tank Dell. I buy into C.J. Stroud, definitely wanting him on the team. They drafted him in the third round. I think the team's got to throw a lot in the second half. I do think he could be. He gets to be the slot receiver, which will be the number one focus when they're down scoring. So I go Tank Dell. Adam? Joe, I'm joining you on the match. Hey! Under You're the first person. Everybody says Nico Collins. I'm so excited that Adam saw like, Finally, I'm not alone. I've never been a big Nico Collins guy. And I think Mechie, he's a sure-handed, great route runner. I think for a for a young quarterback and a young quarterback who is accurate, pretty smart with the ball, I think that's it's kind of a match made in heaven. I do really like Tank Bell as well. I actually, the young receivers they've surrounded Stroud with, uh, in the short term, I don't know how it's going to work out. But long term, I think it's actually a, a bunch of really good fits. But uh, yeah, Mechie, I, I think he's going to be awesome. It's a little bit Japanese. Major Bill 34. I might drop it for Mechie for you guys. All right. <laughs> Tight ends. There we go. Dolan Schultz. This is who I actually think is going to be the number one pass catcher on the team as the safety blanket running in that offense. 
you know, no, he's not George Kittle. Definitely not. But is he going to be a quarterback's, rookie quarterback's best friend to move the chains? Yeah, I think he will. And right now, we have him, of course, with a group of these tight ends where we're talking about just in the division alone with Chig, with Evan Ingram, that back end, tight end one, where does he fall within that list? And right now, Chig's in front of him, Colton Kincaid's in front of him, Dave Njoku's in front of him, and I actually have him ranked ahead of all those guys at tight end nine. So, Joe, am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. Uh, look, I, I think whenever you're looking at, you know, the tight end situations in this grouping here, a lot of this is dark throws. You know, uh, Chig is Chig makes a lot of sense. He showed you a lot of things. If Chig can emerge here, then that's a good thing for, for Traylon Burks. And on the flip side here, when you're looking at Dalton Schultz and some of the other tight ends here, it you can't take Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys and put him in there and think he's going to be Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys because he's on the Texans. <laughs> that does That math doesn't work for me. And then Evan Ingram, you make a really good point, too, of this is another tight end that, you know, had a really good year last year, but these targets got to get drained from somewhere. And they didn't, you know, they just franchised Evan Ingram. I don't know if they're going to sign him to a long-term deal. I don't know if that's what they want to do necessarily or what they need to do from a cap standpoint. So tight ends here are a little, I would say, all over the place. But if anybody has a chance to break out, it's Chig because Chig has the size, the opportunity, and the potential target share available because there is no other guy. As I said before, the coverage bear wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans. No, that, that's 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 fair. Where would you have these three at? Who's your favorite of the three? Chig, Evan Ingram, Dalton Schultz. I think I might go Ingram, and I've been historically a very high uh, on the Dalton Schultz train, but uh, I think he's going to get a lot of receptions. I just don't know if he's really going to get the valuable ones. Um, I agree he might be a chain mover, but I think they're kind of over-indexed on the chain mover archetype, so to speak, uh, in Houston. Um, so for me, I, I don't know. Um, I'm a little less interested. I just don't think the upside is there for him to get a ton of touchdowns, which you're going to need to really move the needle. I do think he's going to be involved in the offense. Evan Ingram, to me, I think he's a, a good matchup guy just in that offense. I think, to me, Zay Jones is far and away the talent guy that just falls off a cliff. Uh, he... Now, the fact that he got has gotten the last couple of years where he's been is baffling to me. It's just one of those weird things that happened <laughs> in the NFL where a player that you kind of forgot existed, like after Buffalo happened, just kind of reemerges. And I don't know. I, I, the whole situation to me is very weird. Uh, I don't think Evan Ingram's going anywhere. I just think Zay Jones falls off a cliff. That, 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 could, that could be fair. That could be fair well. And, and of these offenses that we're talking about, that's probably going to be the most pass-happy one. So you do have that kind of going for you, too. Um, those tight ends, though, all going in about the same range where you're taking for upside, and it's kind of like the quarterback situation. Maybe you don't want to be first, but you don't want to be last because otherwise you start dealing with a lot of volatility every single every single year. But let's get into our picks for the season. Walk on the end. Over-unders. We got our win-loss margin. We're going to try to cash some tickets early on. This is my favorite time to do this because... Well, at the end of the year, when he plays these bets, you forget about them. And then all of a sudden, I see my bank account go, bing! Like, oh, look at that. I hit all these bets that I totally forgot I made. So let's hopefully we can do that for you guys again today. Houston, the number is six and a half over under for their wins on the season. The odds are better on the over, plus 110, minus 130 on the under. Do we think Houston get the seven games? My answer is no. But Joe, what do you got? Uh, I'm on the under for this one, but the problem is the juice at 130. So, you know, it's not the most appealing 
investment, um, but I think it's a safer one. Uh, it's not something I would invest in, but the minus 130, I think, in the over, uh, the under, excuse me, is where I would go. I think Houston's still work in progress. They might be more competitive, but winning football games is, you know, it's a lot harder than it looks at the NFL level. It's a, it's a different story to close them out, Adam. Cool. Yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page. I think it's the under. I don't think it's worth it. I wouldn't place this bet. Okay, so Colts, also six and a half. Their over is minus 135. So Vegas thinks they're going to go over on this number, plus 115 on the under. So Colts fan, they get the seven wins. I think that this is a round of the mark they're going to hover. I don't think that really either side is worth it to me. I just think that they're set up to be very, very physical. And in this division, I think that that might lead them to stealing a couple more wins than on paper their talent should. But not enough for me to lock in really either side. Joe, what do you think? What's interesting about all these numbers is the fact they play in this soft division, right? So because it's a soft division, the somebody else is going to win a game or two they shouldn't win. So if you're going to point to one of those teams, I think Indianapolis is the team that I would point to. It wouldn't be Tennessee, even though they have a really good football coach. I just I look at the talent on this roster, and last year was so barren, and I don't think they did enough to replenish it. Houston, I think, is a giant work in progress with the new head coach and all the other trappings there. So Indianapolis, because there's that it factor potentially with Richardson, they could have a couple amazing moments. I would go the over here. And again, you know, once again, it's the chalk, so it's harder to invest it. I think it's hard for me to envision that team being 7-10 and 10 because I think what people are also sleeping on is how bad the Colts defense might be this year, other than having Buckner. Because when they don't have, you know, Leonard, whatever his name is now today, I don't know, I keep changing it on me. But when you lose Gilmore and you lose all those pieces that they did not replace, I don't think this is a very good defense on top of it. So I actually have them as six, and I like the juice at plus 115 on the under, so I am going to take the Colts under and place that bet. The Jaguars, a little bit of a wonky line here as far as the odds are. Their line is nine and a half for their wins, but it's minus 150 on the over, plus 135 on the under. I think because of the juice, I'm actually going to take the under because I can see them going nine and eight and just winning this division and calling it a day. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I well, I definitely think they're winning this division. Number one, uh, this is a playoff team last year, folks. <laughs> Does anybody else want to talk about that? Like playoff team in a soft division with by far the best quarterback play in the league for this division, rather I should say. Um, so with the best quarterback in this division, I think this is a 10-win team. Uh, if you could tease this 10.5, I think that's even interesting, too, if you look at the rest of the Jaguar schedules. And towards the end of the year, too, this defense was a little bit more opportunistic and made some moments. I remember that big game against the Jets, if you recall that one, where they went out there and they traveled. Now, granted, you know, playing lesser quarterback situation, but still, they showed up for that game uh, big time in terms of, you know, defensive hype. And, you know, I think they got a little taste of what the playoffs are like last year. So I'm, a, I'm an over on this one for sure. Hey, uh, Adam. Again, just based on the values, I wouldn't touch the bet. Uh, I think over is most likely. I think if I was going to bet it, I would probably go the under if I was really, you know, really wanted so, to like, place a 10th unit on the under. Yeah, right. But realistically, this is a team that started last season five and eight, which I guess partially makes me think, OK, they could go under just start off slow. But to me, this is a team that is just going to keep building off the end of last season. This division is even weaker somehow than last year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they rocketed over. Um, but at the same time, the 150 isn't really something that I'm going to care enough about to, to take. All right, last but not least, or maybe least, who knows, 
Uh, Tennessee, seven and a half wins. Plus 110 on the over, minus 130 on the under. I think Vrabel is too good of a head coach. I look at him like Mike Tomlin. Like, you might not have a good roster. Somehow you're you're going to be 500 or better. So I am going to take the over on Tennessee at seven and a half. I think they get the eight wins here, especially if Ryan Tannehill does manage to stay healthy. I know that's a big if, but if they can, I think this is a competitive team where, with a good enough coach where they get to at least eight and nine. And I like the odds, of course, better on the over, Joe. Everything you said is correct about Mike Vrabel and about how he gets this team to play for him. But at a certain point, you just don't have the personnel. And I'm worried under the personnel, and I don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to... I mean, they, him saying LV is a pipe dream. So I'm going to go with the under here on this one. But I will say this. Of all of the ones that have the heavy juice, I'm going to invest in something. I'm going to invest in the Jaguars at the heavy juice because I actually believe in that football team. So if I'm going to go on the minus side of something... I might as well go on the minus side with the team that won five of their last five games in the end and went to the playoffs last year, and it showed a market improvement in the organization. Yeah, no, totally agree. Adam, where are you on Tennessee? I think Tennessee over is the ticket I would be most likely to place. Really, I don't feel super comfortable with any of these. But I'm the AFC South is yuck. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yuck division. It's too volatile to me. Uh, this is, again, the ticket I would be the most likely to go would be to over at plus 110. Because um, I, I agree. I think they're going to flirt with the 8-9 win. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, not a great team, but it's a not great team that has an identity in a division with two rookie quarterbacks, teams that are, you know, trying to figure out what their their next, you know, few years looks like. Uh, I wouldn't be that shocked if between the the Texans and Colts, the Titans get three wins there alone. Uh, and that kind of makes the math work in their favor a little bit for this type of bet. Yeah, uh, basically, this is the first show we've had in our team profile series where there wasn't a single team the entire panel agreed on, which kind of shows you that maybe there's not a ton of value to be had in the AFC South in general. So always bet responsibly. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I want, you know, we all know who you are, but still, <laughs> let everybody know where to follow you at, what you got coming up, what you checking out, what you got. No, oh, I got a lot. I got a lot coming up. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun to sit and talk. I didn't think we could have this much fun talking about this division, but we did. So that's great. Uh, we found a way to do it. Uh, there's a couple of gems there. You just got to be willing to jump in the pool. Uh, you can find me, obviously, um, <clears throat> hosting Fantasy Pros Podcast. And also, I'll be hosting the NFL Betting Pro Show this year, too. So that's a big one. So I'll be on there five days a week, probably hosting that bad boy. We got a lot of fun stuff planned for that big push for nfl season for betting pros this season so if you haven't go subscribe over there of course all the fantasy pro shows hosting sports grid tv every sunday morning talking football all the pregame show stuff and of course the fantasy black book right there boom get it for uh for a pittance over on amazon go get prepared for the season uh we update too i'll be doing an update in uh this week for the black book as well as all the cheat sheets get updated too so it's a little different it's a little bit more strategy based as opposed to some of the other content that's out there that you can buy the physical media stuff, but great group of contributors there as well. Uh, Derek Brown, Andrew Erickson, Thor Nystrom, Scott Bogman, just to add a few. It's a really great team of people. So go get your black book on Amazon. It's number one for a reason. Let's go. Thanks for having me, fellas. It was fun to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Great time. Adam, what do you got coming up? I know you got someone belly up fantasy. Yeah, belly up fantasy live uh, every other Tuesday. So I believe it will be this upcoming Tuesday. So definitely uh, check in over there. Uh, the Al- Belly Up Fantasy Sports Twitter, uh, Alaru Adam on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got uh, 
we got NFC West coming up. It is going to be back on our normal schedule time on Thursday night at 9.30. We have Laquan Jones of the NFL Network. That. So, our buddy. Well, it, it, we're we're from the same town, Joe uh, Hamilton. We both came through Hamilton and went out there. So I was I was happy to happy to be able to find him. At the well, end, before so. he moved to L.A., we had dinner together, and before he moved, and we were in a league together in Jersey because I'm in Jersey too. So look at this, all of us Jersey people, all all Jersey power, baby. Right? All Jersey power. We got to go over the Ohio power because like it's either you're from Ohio or Jersey. There's like nothing else in between. It comes to fantasy <laughs> like. or both, or, or both, <laughs> or both. Make sure you give us a follow to hit a subscribe on our YouTube channel. Check out the MD's Fantasy Football Show wherever you listen to podcasts. We're widely available to you. And guys, we'll see you Thursday night.